Our passage this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is not Josh Moody. And especially if you're new, my name is Ben Panner. I'm the high school pastor here at College Church. It's great to study God's word with you and go through 2 Timothy chapter 1. So we're starting here in verse 1. So let's get right to it. Well, across the country, in the U.S., at many universities, they have something called a last lecture. And often students at the universities, they vote and they decide who their favorite professor is that they want to give this last lecture. So for this last lecture, the professor has to get into the mindset of, if these were my final words, my last class, my last opportunity to share with these students, what would I say? In some ways, putting themselves to think as though they were on the verge of death, what would I want to impart to these students? What story would I want to tell? What do I want to leave with them in this last lecture? Well, a few years ago, a professor didn't really have to imagine that, and it was reality for him. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he had three to six months to live. And Carnegie Mellon, where he was a professor, asked him to give his last lecture. And so he decided, and he did. And he gave his last lecture to the students there, the people who came. And what ended up happening is his last lecture went on to YouTube, and over 15 million people watched it. Some of his words were saying, we cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand. Or think about Jim Valvano, legendary coach at North Carolina State, also diagnosed with cancer, on the verge of of death, a few months away. He gives kind of a final emotional speech to friends, to family, to colleagues at the ESPY Awards on TV. And millions of people watched his final words to his family, to his colleagues, on the internet and on TV. He says, don't give up. Don't ever give up. And his words are written on Facebook profiles, bios. They're brought up in conversation all the time. I also read about a father who was headed out to war. 
and his unborn son, he thought, I want to give final words to him just in case I don't come back. So what he did is he wrote a journal, and in that journal was filled life lessons that he had learned, advice that he had, things that he wanted to give to his son. And what happened is he did die at war, serving our country. But his son had this journal, his dad's last words to him, tips of advice on life as he grows up. What is it about the last words of someone? Well, there is a certain perspective that someone has at the end of their life. Well, last lecture, final words. In some ways, it's the person's opportunity to hand something off to the next generation. This is something they want to continue on, so they're going to give that. This professor to the next generation of students. Jim Valvano to the next generation of coaches, of family, of his colleagues. And a soldier and a father to the next generation his son. Well, the book we're going to spend our summer studying is 2 Timothy. It's not a last lecture, but it's a last letter from the faithful apostle Paul. And we see in verse 2 that he is writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And the tone indicates that there's a closeness of relationship between these two. Now, Paul has not been dealt a bad hand here. Paul has given himself to a specific purpose, a singular task in life. And this purpose has led him to the end of his own life as he is in prison. For the sake of Christ, he's in prison. For the sake of Christ, he will give his life. And for the sake of Christ, he gives Timothy these final words. What will he say? What does he want to leave with Timothy? What does he want to go forward on into the next generation? Well, not simple reflections on life or good memories or a happy farewell or even just life advice. But he gives Timothy an urgent charge, something to commit his life to, something very clear. Paul has given his life to and will now give his life for this specific purpose. And he's charging Timothy to follow his lead. So the man in prison to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, a commitment in life of highest proportion. That commitment is to be unashamed of Christ, to be unashamed of Jesus. And Paul is passing the baton on to the next generation, Timothy, an unashamed proclamation of Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning of our words here in chapter 1, we see the content of Paul's charge. So today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Paul's commitment. We're going to look at Paul's confidence. And we're going to look, we'll look at Paul's charge. Those three things. So let's start in verse 1 and 2. So in typical fashion, we have Paul's greeting to whoever he's writing to. Timothy, in Ephesus, receiving these words, probably ecstatic to hear from Paul, but also somber because he knows that Paul's impending death is coming. These two verses could be easily skimmed over 
But if we look very closely, we see very clearly a lot about Paul and why he's writing to Timothy here. So look down at verse 1 with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he identifies himself, an apostle. He has been set apart and called forth from God to be a messenger. But a messenger of what? What's the rest of verse 1 say? It says, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's devoted himself to one thing, the gospel. The message that brings life to those who hear it and those who receive it. God's divinely appointed him and called him to proclaim this message to the world. And he believes in it so much so that he's going to give his own life. Now Paul's commitment is to the gospel because it brings life to those who receive it. Now we see very clearly in our first two verses Paul's heart on display. His heart for those who do hear the message because it brings life for them. His heart for Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, their close, deep relationship. But we also see his heart for those who take up the work of gospel ministry. Look at verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. Now if you were to look at all 13 letters that Paul wrote, in each and every greeting you would find Grace and peace to you. But only here in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy do we see this word mercy. Why why does Paul ask God to give Timothy mercy? Well, Paul knows that a committed life to the gospel and proclaiming that word has challenges, has opponents. It is not an easy life, it is not an easy road. Think of 2 Corinthians. We get a list of the hardships and the suffering that occurred to Paul for the sake of the gospel. Think of this. Imprisonments, stoning, shipwrecks, persecution, often without food. Paul knows the grind of ministry. There are those in this room who have had many years of gospel ministry under their belts. They know what is ahead for those, the next generation. They know the hardships. They know some suffering that might occur because of the gospel. And they can cry mercy from God to the next generation. And that is what Paul is doing for Timothy because he knows what is ahead for Timothy in this task of serving God and being a gospel proclaimer. Paul's heart is for the gospel, and Paul's heart is for the next generation. So Paul's commitment has been a gospel-proclaiming life. And our next section, we'll see Paul's confidence in verses 3 through 5. So we already talked about Paul's deep relationship with Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. But in verses 3 through 5, We see also that he is thankful. He's thankful to God for Timothy. How do we know that he is thankful? Well, we know in verse 3 because of his constant, continual prayers night and day for Timothy. When I was growing up, I would visit my dad at at the church that he worked at. He was a pastor. 
And I would come into his office, and on the back, right in front of his office, he would have this picture. And this picture was of a father kneeling at the bedside of his son, and his son sleeping calmly. But the father was passionately and persistently praying for God's protection over his son there. And you can see in the background, in the window, there's spiritual warfare going on, but God is protecting this house, and God is protecting this son. And I know my dad would look up at that each and every day because he knew that's what he wanted his heart to be for his sons, praying constantly for them. And we see that right here with Paul, is that he is praying for his spiritual son, Timothy, every single day, every single night. How else do we know that he's thankful? Verse 4, look with me there. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. Paul remembers the tears of Timothy, probably mostly when they left each other last. And he remembers the tears that Timothy had, and he longs to see him again so that they could have a joyful time together, mutually beneficial to one another, because Timothy brings Paul great joy. But ultimately, if we look at verses 3 through 5, we have three remembers. Verse 3, as I remember. Verse 4, as I remember. Verse 5, I am reminded. It is this last verse, verse 5, that we see ultimately why Paul is thankful for Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul firmly believes that Timothy's faith is the real deal. Sincere faith is basically saying it is not hypocritical. It is genuine. It is true. Timothy has sincere faith and Paul is sure of it. But when I was in middle school, my youth group went down to Mexico to go on a missions trip. And one of the days there, we had a free day, so we decided to go into the city. And in this city, there was a market, so we went there and tried to get as much stuff as we could Cheap stuff because they were selling it at a good price. So some friends went and got shirts. Some friends went and got hammocks. But I was on a mission for some sunglasses. So I finally see this store with sunglasses. And I see some Oakleys. And I'm looking at them. And they're looking great. And they are dirt cheap. So I snatch them up. And I wear them as much as I can. All the time. But a few months later as I get home... I see the color on these glasses starting to wear off. I see the frame starting to bend a little bit. These were definitely not the real deal. They were Folkleys, fake Oakleys, not Oakleys. But being in middle school, I was easily deceived. You see, Paul can look at somebody and see the appearance of real, genuine faith. But he knows that some are not going to last. But he looks at Timothy from the inside out, and he sees something that is sincere, something that is true, something that will last. He sees sincere faith. Timothy is the real deal. Paul also grounds his confidence in Timothy's faith, in Timothy's legacy of faith. Verse 5, he says, A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. In Acts 16, we we hear that Timothy's mom is a believer. And even in our book that we're studying this summer, chapter 3, we find that as a young boy, Timothy 
was taught the scriptures. Timothy was acquainted with the word of God as a young child. How did that happen? Well, his grandmother and his mother were committed to proclaiming the word to Timothy as he was growing up. Here's what we know. Timothy's spiritual mentor and spiritual father has devoted his life to gospel word proclamation. Timothy's actual grandmother, actual mother, have devoted themselves to teaching Timothy the word of God when he was a young boy. Paul knows this, and it gives him further confidence that Timothy's faith is sincere, and it is the real deal. And as Timothy reads this, I'm sure it gives him much confidence hearing his spiritual mentor say, I know that your faith is sincere. It is not hypocritical, and it should encourage Timothy's faith. So Paul's commitment is a gospel-proclaiming life. And Paul's confidence is that Timothy is the real deal. But finally, we move to Paul's charge, starting in verse 6. We find, for this reason, he says, for this reason, because I know your faith is sincere, and it's the real deal, what do we see in the rest of of verse 6? I remind you. Paul was reminded himself of Timothy, but now he reminds him to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. To use a phrase from John MacArthur, he says this, the product of sincere faith is faithful service. Or to put it another way, faithful service follows sincere faith. So fan into flame the gift of God, Timothy. Use your gift to serve God. What is this gift? If you would, turn with me a few pages back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Chapter 4, 13 and 14. So listen to these words. Paul, again, speaking to Timothy. says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I believe the gift that Paul is referring to in 2 Timothy is this gift of public proclamation and the public teaching of God's word. This God-given gift is to proclaim the word and teach it to God's people. And the charge that Timothy gets from Paul is fan this gift into flame. Before I got married, I lived in a house with five guys. One of them was my brother. And we loved to have people over to our house, especially to watch a game. And in the winters, we would always have a fire going. Now, my older brother, every single time, would devote himself to fire duty. He would start that fire, and he would get it going. And he would keep it going. So it was blazing, it was looking nice, and people would say, John, come, come join us. John, it looks great, come join Nope, stoked the fire. One hour would pass. John, come on, join us. Nope, keep stoking the fire, keeping the fire going. Two hours would go by, and he's still stoking that fire the entire time. 
No matter who would come up to John, no matter who would try to get him to do other things, he was utterly focused on keeping that fire going. And Paul's charge to Timothy has the same attitude, the same focus. Timothy, keep the fire going. Stoke that fire. Don't let it go out. Continue to teach and proclaim the word of God. Now, Paul himself was an example of that, someone who had devoted his entire life to this message of the gospel. And he's saying, you need to follow my lead. Timothy needs to do that in his own life. But again, the road is not easy. It's filled with many temptations. In our text today, look at verse 7. We have a temptation right there. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. There's a temptation to be fearful, to be timid. But how are we supposed to understand this phrase, a spirit of fear. Well, I want you to think with, with me about Acts 18. In Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth, and what do you think he's doing? He's teaching God's word, and he's telling the Jews about Jesus Christ. But they reject him, and they revile him. So Paul says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So he goes to the Gentiles and continues to teach God's word, and people receive it, they hear it, And they believe in Jesus Christ through the teaching of the word. But he knows that there's a great potential for continued suffering or persecution. And there's a temptation for him not to speak. There's a temptation for him to leave this place because of the persecution. But God, in a vision, speaks to Paul and says this. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, we have Paul. We also have an example in Peter. In John 18, where do we have Peter? Peter is denying Christ. Not speaking about him. Not standing up for Jesus. Not associating him, but denying him. But if we fast forward to Acts 4, we see he and John in the midst of opposition and persecution, we see them say this, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter had to speak, had to proclaim. Paul, do not be afraid but speak. See, this spirit of fear is a fear of proclaiming and speaking God's word. And Paul is saying to Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear. You need to speak. You need to not be silent. You need to not be timid to proclaim this message that you are charged to do so and use the gift that you have. Let the fire of word proclamation grow. Well, there's great encouragement in verse 7 as well. The end of it says, He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. A spirit of power and love and self-control. What is the spirit of power that God gives? God gives Timothy the power, or another way to think about it is energy. God gives Timothy the energy to endure the persecution, to endure the opposition, to endure people who are opponents of the gospel message. And God gives him the power to push through that so that he can continue proclaiming, so that the word may go out. A spirit of power 
a spirit of love. Or another way to think about it is a self-sacrificial, service-oriented attitude towards others. And if he lives with this attitude in the church, what's going to happen is he's going to have more opportunity to proclaim the word of God. And as he goes out and lives this way with an attitude of love that is given by God, what's going to happen is he's going to have more opportunities to speak the word because that's what he's been charged to do in a spirit of self-control. A spirit of self-control, in essence, is the discipline to abstain and stay away from sin. Why? So that there would be nothing that would hinder his witness of the gospel message. You see, the spirit of power, love, and self-control that God gives, they all strengthen, support, and sustain, and protect Timothy's witness so that he may proclaim and teach God's word and it may go out into the world. Paul's charge is to stoke the fire of word proclamation. Teach the word of God, Timothy. Why is this so critical? Why is this what Paul wants to leave with the next generation? To leave with Timothy? Because this word that Timothy is supposed to proclaim and called to proclaim is a word that brings life. It brings life. The scriptures reveal Christ and the promise of eternal life in him. This is why Paul committed himself to the gospel, because it brings life. This is why Lois and Eunice committed themselves to teach Timothy when he was a young boy, because it brings life. And this is why Timothy is charged to teach this message, to teach the word, because in this word is life through Jesus Christ. And that is why our church must be driven by word proclamation, because this word brings life to those who hear it and receive it. As we've looked at Paul's commitment in life, Paul's confidence in Timothy's faith that it is the real deal. And Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the word and stoke that fire so that it grows. Let's look at how we can apply this in our own situations here. Well, first, there's a word here to pastors, to those in, in word leadership in this church. Stoke up the fire of word proclamation. In your ministries, make word teaching central. This is what Timothy is called to give himself to. And this is what I need to give myself to. And this is what our pastoral staff needs to give themselves to. Is word teaching and word proclamation. Because in that word is the promise of life. Well to everyone in this room. This summer we need to come under God's word. If Paul holds up the commitment. And the core value of word teaching then a church body needs to come under that word teaching. And how do we do that? Through hearing, through receiving, and through supporting God's word. So this summer, will this be a summer that you just take, take off? Or will you regularly, each week, come hear God's word taught because it is critical for your soul, because the word brings life? 
And when we hear it, do we receive it or does it go in one ear and out the other? Or supporting God's word. When you're sitting around those lunch tables talking about the, ser- the sermon, is it a critical discussion or is it a life-engaging discussion about what God's word is teaching us? The support of God's word coming under it, that is what we are called to as a church Another question we need to ask ourselves is, is Paul's commitment to teach, to train, to raise up the next generation and pass this on, is that what we are about? Think about the Sunday school teachers. Think about CAMS. Think about HIACS. Is that something that is on our vision and on our radar to raise up the next generation? In the family devotions that go on in the life of this church, is word teaching central to that because that is where life is think about somewhere walking around the halls of kids harbor this morning is potentially the next pastor here at college church are we committed to word proclamation and training and teaching the next generation but lastly a commitment to word ministry in our close relationships Use the example of Lois and Eunice. Their close relationship with their grandson, their close relationship with their son, what did they do? They taught God's word. They used the word and that was central. What is the close relationship in your life? Your children, a friend, someone in your small group, is the word central to that? Well, the life of our church must be driven by word teaching Because in it, the promise of life in Christ is found. And our response is to stoke that fire of word teaching. May God give us a spirit of power and love and self-control to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is alive and active. We thank you that you have given us your word to teach us, to train us, but ultimately to reveal the life that is in Christ Jesus, salvation. And I pray that we would be a church that is committed to that, that is driven by the teaching of your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.